Hello everyone, welcome back to the Tar Heel Prescription, a student-run podcast here at the UNC School of Medicine. My name is Peter. And my name is Abdul. We are so excited to bring you another episode of the specialty series, this time featuring women's health, babies, and everything in between. It's obstetrics and gynecology, otherwise known as OBGYN or OB-GYN, what have you. We are delighted to talk about what the specialty is like, how to get there, and so much more with UNC's very own Dr. Alice Schwang. In addition to being a professor of general obstetrics and gynecology, Dr. Schwang is the newest associate dean for student affairs at the School of Medicine. Dr. Schwang, thank you so much for taking some time of your busy schedule to be here. If you would, please tell us a little more about who you are and what you do here at UNC. Thank you, Abdul. Um, so I am um, in my associate dean for student affairs role. I um, work to support students fully to meet their professional wellness and personal goals at UNC. Um, in my role in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm a general OBGYN, so I'm a part-time clinician because I also work in the Office of Student Affairs. It's a pleasure to have you here today, Dr. Chuang. To dive right in, could you tell us more about your personal journey into OB-GYN and how did you find yourself here and what experiences shaped your decision? So as a medical student, um, I came to medical school to um, do pediatrics and to pursue a career in pediatrics. And I really, OBGYN was not on my radar at all. Um, when I started my core clerkship year, I really enjoyed my OBGYN rotation, but I hadn't had a chance to experience pediatrics. But I did know for sure that OB, I was drawn to OBGYN because it was an opportunity to participate in surgery and to treat patients medically, to see patients in the office, and also to deliver babies. And delivering babies was an amazing experience for me. Um, I also really wanted to impact um, women's health. And then when I did my pediatric rotation, I um, was sad to realize that that actually was not my calling. And, and so I had to pivot, which is what we do all the time. And I remember telling my pediatrics mentor, going to her office and sort of dreading this conversation with her because she spent a lot of time with me saying, I am really sorry. I, you know, I really do love pediatrics, but I think I'm headed for a career in OBGYN. And she looked at me and she said, I always knew you weren't a pediatrician, but I just needed you to figure that out for yourself. Wow, that sounds like such a journey. But, you know, pediatrics seems to still have found a way into your career as an OB-GYN, so <laughs> maybe not too far. Yes, I think that for students out there who are trying to think about whether they want to be a pediatrician or an OB-GYN when you're in the delivery room, which patient are you looking at? Which patient are you more interested in? Ooh, some clinical pearls right there. And I guess broadly speaking, could you give us an overview of what the field is like? What does a day in the life of an OB-GYN look like? What's really wonderful about OBGYN is that there are so many things that you can do in an OBGYN career. So I've already talked about how you can operate, so do gynecologic surgery, um, lots of different types of gynecologic surgery, of course, and then you can take care of um, patients who are pregnant. Um, and then, of course, you have an office practice as well. So you see your patients in the office, both patients who are pregnant and patients who are not pregnant um, and need um, reproductive health, right? And um, and then some of them need surgery as well. So there's a lot of different things. And that's another really amazing thing about OBGYN. The week is varied. And so it keeps things interesting. Do you ever find yourself doing everything in one day? Or is it like split into each day? Well, so typically, most people would not be doing, um, would not be engaging in office practice while also operating and delivering patients. But there definitely, if you 
just like any field, I'm sure, there are a lot of different ways to ultimately practice this specialty, right? So there are practices where you are scheduled to see patients in the office, but your office is right next to the hospital. And so somebody might be delivering and you'll run over and deliver a baby and then come back. There are also practices that are set up such that you start your day with surgery. Maybe the first thing that you do that day is surgery starts at 730 and then your first office patient's not till 9 or 930. So it is possible, um, definitely. And there's also sort of a new development in the field of obstetrics called hospitalist or laborist medicine. So where part of the practice is um, focused on the office and those the partners in that practice will mostly be in the office, and then there are others that are in the hospital, or the hospital actually hires people to cover the patients in the hospital, which could mean operating and delivering babies in the same day. Before we delve into some broader questions about the field, we would like to talk in more detail about the path to becoming a board-certified OB-GYN. Could you start by giving us a breakdown of the years between finishing medical school and becoming an attending? What does residency entail in terms of training and work culture? Yes. So um, OBGYN is a four-year residency, and that's pretty standard across all institutions. Um, You can actually do a prelim year in OBGYN. There are not that many in the United States, but it's possible. So that's one year, and then you would have to transition into another type of residency or a full year of another four-year residency. So, um, and just like all residencies, you know, we are limited by the 80-hour work week. So you definitely would not be working more than 80 hours a week, but you probably will be working that full 80 hours. Um, I always think about residency as a time where I was running all the time, you know. Um, And they told me sort of when I was a student, residents told me stories. And maybe you'll experience this too as a student when you do your OBGYN rotation, but you're not going to have time to pee. You're not going to have time to eat. And I just thought, how is that possible? Sometimes it just feels that way, yes, because you're just running from patient to patient and there's um, a lot of activity. But I also think that's part of why I really love OBGYN. It's nonstop. Um, And then so you actually you can become an attending right out of residency. You can join an academic practice. And I will just take this moment to shamelessly recruit people to academics. Um, We need more academic um, physicians. You can also join a, a community practice, of course. There are also multiple fellowships that you can pursue out of um, OBGYN residency. Could you briefly comment on the fellowship opportunities in OBGYN and if they offer any specific benefit for aspiring students? Yes. So I think that when residents pursue fellowship, a lot of why they do that is because they really want to deepen their sort of expertise in a specific area of, of OBGYN. That is why anyone would do a fellowship in any, in any specialty, right? One thing that's unique about OBGYN's fellowships is that for most of them, they're, they're typically either GYN or OB. And then you would give up the other part of that, of the specialty. So if you did, for example, a maternal fetal medicine fellowship, um, then you would probably not see non-pregnant patients um, as a practicing maternal fetal medicine physician. Um, and, you know, the flip side of that is if you pursued a GYN oncology fellowship where you deal with gynecologic cancers, you would no longer see pregnant patients unless they had a gynecologic cancer, which is rare, but it does happen. So... My point is that you would choose something, but sometimes that means removing part of what you did as a general OBGYN. And there are multiple fellowships that are available. Um, I think this is true for lots of specialties, but fellowships that are well-established and have been around for a long time, you can become board certified in those. So in OBGYN, that includes reproductive endocrine, endocrinology and infertility. 
Um, and so those are the doctors that help patients who um, have infertility challenges and help them get pregnant. As also, And they also deal with complex reproductive um, endocrinologic problems. Of course, GYN oncology is gynecologic cancers. Maternal fetal medicine is for high-risk um, obstetrics, which is when the mother has a high-risk issue or the fetus has a high-risk issue that needs um, um, medical management during pregnancy, before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and even sometimes after pregnancy. Um, there is urogynecology, which is sort of um, pelvic floor disorders and reconstructive surgery in the pelvic floor. Um, and then a couple others that are not as well established but are moving their way um, to being fully established and um, are complex family planning, so dealing with complex contraceptive um, challenges as well as, of course, abortion. Um, and pregnancy termination. And then finally, I want to make sure I don't leave anyone out. Um, <laughs> oh, pediatric and adolescent gynecology. So that is another fellowship that one can pursue. I'm sorry, I also did leave somebody out. MIGS, minimally invasive GYN surgery. So there's a lot of things that you can do after OBGYN re residency. And are they all board certified fellowships or yes. depends? So the first four that I talked about are very well established board certified urogynecology, Reproductive endocrinology and infertility, GYN oncology. Um, I really should have made a list before. <laughs> so I guess what I would say is the well-established ones are board certified three years, and then the other ones are getting there. Wow, definitely no shortage as far as paths to go down OB-GYN, and all exciting in their own right. And now I guess it's a good time to ask the big question that medical students are worried about. What should medical students interested in pursuing OBGYN do now to best prepare for applying to residency? Are there any specific attributes or experiences, whether it be research, extracurriculars, that residency programs look for in potential candidates? I think this is a great question, and I know that medical students often feel, you know, that they have to, first of all, decide really early and then figure out what they need to do to get into residency. But I guess what I would say is that it's really important really just to be um, a well-rounded medical student, right? So focus on your academics, do as the best that you can in your courses, especially your clinical courses. In the field of OBGYN, I think that it can help to do research because you can imagine that every residency program has some type of rubric by which they're evaluating candidates, right? And that rubric is to establish a transparent, holistic process, right? So that that's going to include things like leadership, extracurriculars, service, um, and research. And realize that you I don't think that every OBGYN applicant has to have research. But since it's part of that rubric, of course, it can help. I think that, again, similar to lots of um, specialties, that the top 10, you know, 20 programs in the United States in that specialty are definitely going to require research, right, and really want to see that as part of the, the profile. Um, I, I also just want to say that, you know, we always have students who figure this out at the, like, surprisingly, towards the end, sort of like I did. I didn't figure this out to the very end of my, um, my third year, which is kind of like our app phase. And so it's always, um, there's always a way to pivot, even if your whole application looks like you were going to be you know, some other type of um, physician. And a quick follow-up, um, speaking of kind of figuring it out towards the end, is there anything that current medical students who are undecided about their final specialty can do right now to rule out OBGYN or maybe rule it in? Yes. Um, that's a great question because I, I do believe in trying to rule things out if you're undecided because then you have fewer things to focus on and decide among, right? Um Obviously, OBGYN is a surgical specialty. So one thing that I tell all students, um, the number one thing every student needs to know is, do you want to be a surgeon? 
do you want to go to the operating room? Do you want to wake up early and, you know, hold the knife in your hand, be the one um, doing surgery on a patient, performing surgery on a patient? And I think that's a really important thing to figure out during your application phase. Do you enjoy that or is it too stressful or you don't enjoy it or you'd rather sit with a patient face-to-face and talk to them? Of course, surgeons talk to their patients. I'm just saying that, you know, um, you also have to be comfortable in the OR and want to be in the OR. Well, now switching gears a little, we often hear that OB-GYN rotation can be one of the more stressful rotations. Uh, Do you have any insight on this experience or clinical pearls that will help students make the most of this learning opportunity and succeed during clinicals? Yes. I think one of the reasons OB-GYN is the most stressful is because it's really different from all the other um, specialties. And so I think the sort of Attributes, qualities, skills, behaviors that are really valuable on an OBGYN rotation are sort of efficiency, organization, um, and also anticipation. Um, and just honestly, in general, being able to go with the flow because it is um, it can be very chaotic on labor and delivery. And again, I mentioned that's maybe one of the reasons I really love labor and delivery. Um, so meaning, you know, you want to be a, a sort of Go getter, watch what people are doing, um, be ready to jump in at a moment's notice. Even though I think it is one of the most stressful for um, a lot of students, I also think it's one of the most enjoyable because there are a lot of things to do and it's really busy and we really need the students to help us. Otherwise, we wouldn't get the work done. Um, so put your running shoes on and be ready to run. <laughs> a very quick follow up for the night before starting the rotation, for example, any advice on how to prepare? for like the cases that are coming in if you have never been exposed to ob before or don't have much experience in the field? Yes. So I think one thing you could do, and I'm, you know, I'm unsure whether you would know this the night before, but there are a lot of abbreviations, right? People talk in abbreviations and they write in abbreviations that are very different from other abbreviations and other specialties. So that may be one thing that you could do to help. And then um, if you knew, for example, that you were starting with um, labor and delivery, there are little handbooks about these are the 10 top things you need to know before you go there, right? You know, OBGYN, at least the obstetric side, and I'm a general OBGYN, so it's very different from maternal fetal medicine physicians whose patients are more complex. It's a very sort of um, protocolized um, field of medicine, I feel. So, for example, um, if a patient comes in you categorize what you do. Um, are, are they pregnant? Are they not? Are they bleeding? Are they not? Um, what gestational age are they? And then you kind of go from there, right? So being able to kind of think about uh, an obstetrical patient in that way is, will be helpful as you think about how, you, um, how to do well. Thank you for that advice. That'll definitely be helpful once we hit the wards in our third years. Um, kind of switching it up a little bit, we often hear that every specialty has a personality type. How do you describe most of the individuals that decide to pursue a career in OBGYN? Are there any particular traits that might pose an undecided medical student in the direction of the specialty? So this is kind of a controversial question in my mind because yes. I don't want to peg any specialty to any personality types. Um, I'm sure you all have seen how OBGYNs are portrayed in lots of different um, medical shows, right? Um, and so I guess what I would say is, you know, OBGYN, just like every field, needs to um, benefit from diverse personalities, diverse work types, diverse um, sort of problem-solving skills. But I've already talked a lot about this sort of efficiency and um, get-up-and-go kind of personality. and Or I wouldn't even call it a personality. I'd call it 
um, skills because I think we can learn skills and personality almost implies that it's innate, which I don't think that is. But just because OBGYN can be really busy and you're moving a lot, um, it does require high level of organization. It does require sort of sometimes fast um, thinking because we have to decide what to do very quickly because emergencies can happen really quickly in obstetrics. And um, being able to sort of multitask, you know, just because a lot of times things are happening fast and you need to be able to think quickly. That being said, I think OBGYN, again, we, I don't think that's part of the residency selection process, just to be very clear, your personality type, right? So um, we're always looking for people to complement the team in, in lots of different ways. Maybe, for example, maybe OBGYN would benefit from someone who could slow us down just a little bit sometimes. Now taking a deeper dive, where do you see the future of OB-GYN going? Are there any existing issues or challenges in the field that current and future generations of OB-GYNs should be aware of and aim to improve going forward? Yes. So I think OB-GYN is a field that has a reputation for really, really sort of complicated work-life balance, right? And lots of hours. And I think one of the future trends is that that's going to get better. It just is. Um, the truth is, in my mind, the we know, for example, that the ratio of residents in OBGYN, the female to male ratio, all right, is around 80 to 20 now, and it might even be higher. Um, that was the last time I looked. And so because of that, um, the truth is, I feel in, in the United States, women are still the primary caretakers of children. So when these residents go into practice, um, a lot of them want to have families. They're the ones that are responsible for taking care of the children. And so we have to have a better lifestyle for OBGYNs, and that is driving that sort of ratio, I think, is going to drive that agenda forward. And that is something everybody can benefit from. I mean, I sort of couch it in terms of gender, but really it's just that, um, you know, as physicians, we all need to be more intentional and more aware of our responsibilities outside of the hospital, which include our families, everybody, right? And so I think that actually has made OBGYN and the way that it's practiced um, more, um, I guess I'll pick sort of a maybe potentially controversial word, humane and manageable and more sort of um, compassionate way. So for example, once upon a time, um, you know, OBGYN was practiced like this. You carried a pager and you were on 24-7. You went to the hospital and delivered your patients no matter when they were delivering, right? And so if you look at the way we currently practice, which is that you have a call, you know, you, you have a partner group. Um, everyone covers for each other. You have a shift. You go and you meet the patients. And then when you walk away from the hospital, you've walked away and you do actually have time to yourself and to your family and your loved ones, right? Um, the the idea of the laborist that I talked about earlier where there's somebody that potentially the hospital sometimes hires these um, physicians. Sometimes it's a practice will have their own. But um, their job is to be in the hospital so that you're not in the clinic worried about getting called away to the hospital. You are focused on the hospital. Um, you're the inpatient person for that day. And I think that also has brought more sort of um, humanity to the way OBGYN is practiced. The other trend for the future, I believe, is there's a slowly growing trend for tracking, which means that maybe maybe a student would know they only want to do obstetrics and not gynecology, or they only want to do gynecology or not obstetrics, or they 100% know they're going to be a GYN oncologist. And so there are a small handful of residencies that will allow that, which means you don't have to spend four years doing both. 
Maybe you spend one year doing both and then you quickly refocus on just OB or just GYN in preparation for your fellowship or in preparation for a specific type of career. Going back to a little bit of our earlier discussion about the OBGYN rotation in third year, we often hear that the overall specialty of OBGYN can be an emotionally taxing and difficult one to work in. What are your thoughts on this and how can clinicians better navigate the challenges that they may face to have a healthy and fulfilling career in OBGYN? That's a great question. So let me start with the GYN part. I think anytime you're in a surgical subspecialty, there is, um, you know, the, the operating room can be very stressful. It's a very, um, it can be very fast paced. And of course, your patient can have a complication. And that, of course, is terrible for the patient. But there's also sort of this burden that as a provider that you feel when that happens, right? And so I think that it's really, really important that when things like that happen to providers that they debrief, um, you know, and that they if they need to go to counseling because of something that has been really complicated for them to sort through themselves, they really should. And I would say, for example, at UNC hospitals, they now have a sort of peer-to-peer program where if something like that happens to you, there is a specific office, you reach out to them, they connect you with a peer, not somebody that you know, but somebody in the system that you can sort of debrief that with who may be a little bit removed, but may have experienced this in their own practice. And I think those types of things are really important. So that's one of the things that we can do as a community um, to improve that. And obviously in obstetrics, um, you know, the beautiful thing about obstetrics is that 90 to 95% of the time, you have a beautiful pregnancy and a beautiful birth. And then other times when it when it doesn't go um, beautifully, it can it can really be very devastating and very traumatic. And so, again, I think that providers need to providers, midwives, physicians, anyone who does obstetrics, they all need to have a system and a place to debrief those things. Um, realizing, of course, that you know, in certain situations with legal actions, you can't just debrief with anybody. And and we actually do have safe spaces in our departments um, to talk about bad things that happen, untoward outcomes. You know, I'm sure you've heard of um, M&M, morbid and mortality conferences. Um, the point of those is obviously to learn, but also for people to talk about, um, you know, how they're doing after something traumatic has happened. We have um, lots of other mechanisms through the hospital to talk about um, when a, there's a bad outcome and to discuss as a team and to share feelings and also um, reflect. I also think that you can imagine that these types of um, outcomes can obviously have a very detrimental effect on a um, physician, um, any kind of healthcare provider. And so in obstetrics, I I often feel it's not a matter of, you know, if something will happen because it will. And so it's really also important to have um, sort of emotional reserve going into those things, right? So um, I almost think that counseling can be seen as a preventive measure, right? If you know you have a stressful job, then perhaps you should seek counseling, coaching, um, some kind of way to make sure your emotional reserves are, your tank is optimally filled so you can face these really tough situations. Um, now, on a fun note, what is your favorite part of being an ob gyn physician? So my favorite part is definitely um, labor and delivery. And, you know, one of the things you you may not realize is my practice is highly contracted because of my work in school of medicine, right? So I'm like a 20%, you know, OBGYN. Um, but I'm very grateful that one of the things I still get to participate in is um, staffing labor and delivery, working with residents and students there. Because to me, that is um, sort of one of the most amazing experiences because there's a huge team, there's a lot of activity, there's a wide range of patients, some of whom are very sick, some of whom are not, um, and every day is a birthday. That's a good way to look at it. 
Well, those are all the questions that we have for you. We'd like to leave room now for you to share any other thoughts or advice that you might have. And this could be about anything really, clinical years, life, medicine. Yeah. So one of the things that's really important in this journey, um, and a lot of times people ask me a lot about work-life balance because my um, partner is also an OBGYN. And so our, our home lives are potentially equally very chaotic at, as well. But um, just remember that you know, you can have anything, but you can't have everything, right? And that's kind of a, um, that's definitely like a myth, right? That you can have everything. And so it's really important when you're thinking about your careers and thinking about work-life balance and literally thinking about everything that you can, you have to figure out what is the most important thing that you want and really focus on that, whether that's, um, you know, a specific grade, a specific specialty, a specific residency, or some kind of promotion, um, making sure you're there for your kids, whatever it is, right? And then just realize that you that is going to be your focus. And then some of the other stuff will fall into place. Um, but you can't be sort of perfect in everything. And if somebody is saying that they are, I'm going to say they're lying. It's very, very hard. Thank you for that great advice. I think uh, I needed to hear that. <laughs> Well, I think that is a great note to end on. Dr. Chuang, this has been an absolutely delightful talk. Thank you for sharing some of your time and wisdom with us today. To our listeners, that was Dr. Al Chuang and a little snapshot into OBGYN. My name is Peter. And my name is Abdul. Please remember to follow the Tar Heel prescription on Instagram to keep up with our speaker highlights and upcoming episodes. And keep giving us feedback by filling out the Google form or contacting us directly. Thank you for tuning in today and we'll see you next time on the Tar Heel prescription.